of a background to what we're talking about, which is practical ministry. So these verses really kind of reveal the heart of the early church. Now, we, we can't actually even do all of the things that are found in these verses in, in form. That's part of my purpose this morning. We have a certain form of ministries that we do, but the heart, the life, right, the joy of the Spirit of God working through God's people, that's built into this passage as a result of the truths of the Word and, and true conversion, and that's what we desire as a church. That everything we do is built around the life that God has given to us, and that's really expressed here in these verses. Now, in verse 37 of Acts 2, Peter's just taught really that the first true New Covenant gospel sermon, right? The, the church has been established, the Spirit of God has come and is, is, has indwelt God's people, and now he preaches to them the nature of the person and work of Christ, and in the power of the Spirit of God, they respond. So, verse 37 of Acts 2, now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles, and all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions. They were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Please be seated. As I considered our topic this morning, really practical shepherding, that is, we've talked about the gifted the gifts the Lord has given to the church, the gifted men, the elders who shepherd and oversee, who equip the saints for the work of service. We've talked about the saints, the, the sheep, the flock that then performs those works of service to the building up of the body of Christ with a goal that we would look like Jesus, that we'd reach the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. And then we talked about the work of, of the flock in actually speaking the truth in love, really carrying out that work of the body being built up in love as we grow into Christ and out from Christ. And yet this morning, I... I'm going to take some time to really share how it is that the elders have designed or are helping to design the ministries of the church so that we accomplish these purposes. And always in the back of our minds is, well, do we have enough time? Can we actually accomplish these things? How, how do we get these ministries done in our busy lives? And I said this several months ago, but it is true that we tend to always, when we ask each other how the week has been, we say busy. And then I realized after I told you all kind of pejoratively, like you probably shouldn't be saying that, that every time someone asked me about my week, it was busy. Uh, so I had to try to figure out what words do I say, like it's been a productive week, which is pretty much the same as busy. So just trying to work my way into how to respond so it's not built around my, my anxiety over time. But in case you are anxious, let's do a little math this morning. Um, there are 168 hours in the week. And I think I got that right. I, I had my undergraduate degrees in computer science and applied math, but I haven't gone down that road for a while. Nonetheless, if I give you, if I allow you, let's say 10 hours a day, all right, five days a week for whether you're in school or whether you have a career uh, uh, outside the home, whether you have a career inside the home, I, I give you 10 hours a day for management, for school, for getting your career done. That's about 50 hours a week, all right? Uh, then I'm going to give you a generous eight hours a day for sleep. Some of you are like, I wish I got eight hours a day. Some of you are like, eight hours is not close to enough. But, so that, that's about 56 hours. Isn't that fascinating? 50 hours of work and 56 hours of sleep uh, that I'll grant you. Now, how about I give you seven hours to eat? Like seven hours. I mean, we got a lot of meals. But you know, a lot of those meals, right, you're just kind of running from place to place. You're shoving you know, the food in your mouth. So I'm, only, I'm giving you seven hours uh, a week to eat. And then I'm giving you seven more hours for other responsibilities. You've got to go shopping, you know, I've got to take the kids back and forth to their doctor's appointments, that kind of thing. That's a total of 120 hours to accomplish the basic issues of life, 120. Now, if you're doing your math, right, that leaves you 48 hours a week for discretionary activities. It doesn't feel like that. Well, of course it doesn't. Right? Because those 48 hours are kind of crammed in all over the place. They're not just one block of time. Right? They're, they're split up all over the various parts of your life. But 48 hours a week for discretionary activities. Now, let's consider the church, the, maybe the official, more the official ministries of the church. If you came, if you devoted on Sunday morning uh, three hours, 
All right? So, you know, that's uh, two services and a little bit more, right? If you devoted three hours. And then another three hours in the afternoon or evening for fellowship groups. That's six hours on a Sunday, right? Six hours spent in, in ministering with and uh, being ministered to by the church. Then let's say, well, you know, you want to do a weekly Bible study of some sort. So maybe you come on to youth, or maybe you do a women's Bible study at night, or maybe you do Friday, right? So that the form of Bible studies we do, all right, that does take about two hours. That is the actual study time. Well, then, of course, you're going to want to do some service during the week, right? So we'll give you three hours for serving in the church. You know, Ralph called you and said, hey, we're moving another family. So I go, okay, we're coming. We'll go do that moving for a couple of hours. If you add all that up, that's 11 hours. If you attend every programmed activity of the church, that is every sphere of programming activity, like Bible studies, Sunday, Sunday morning, that's only 11 hours. That's 23% of your optional time. So 77% of your optional time, or 37 hours a week, is still open. Even if you did all that, every church ministry you could possibly think of, you still have 37 hours. Now, maybe you're thinking, no, see, I'm, I would want to do one of those advanced discipleship programs, right? I want to do, they say, 10 hours, like the LBI, SI, you know, kind of our acronym programs. Uh, we'll talk more about those later. So I'm going to give 10 more hours. Well, great. Now you're at 22 hours a week. That's 46% of your optional time, still leaving 54% of your optional time or 26 hours a week still open. What are you going to do with all that time? Now, as we know, that's not really all that time, right? There's lots of things to do. You've got your extracurricular activities. You've got to exercise a little bit. All right? Even your spiritual disciplines are going to be poured into that time. And yet, and yet, I do think it's important to carefully think through the nature of how we're spending time, freeing up the time that we can, and carefully using our time so that we are able to bring glory to God in all that we do. And as we will see, the idea of just, okay, I've allotted this time to work and this time to church, that's not really the way the Bible describes it. As we will see, God is doing one work. He's working in the church. So everything you do is really built around that. So it's not a hierarchy. Right, you'll be using your hours, you'll kind of be blending your hours for one huge purpose, which is that God will be glorified in the building of his church. Now, despite these things that are being asked of us, we do tend to be very protect protective of our time, and yet we always, in spite of that, still seem to be too busy. So as we use our time, we don't want to protect it from others, we want to learn how to give it more to others. That's the idea. We're not creating our own little spaces yet creating space in our lives, really creating our whole life to be one that is open to the people of God and active in pursuing the ministry that God has for us. You see, building the church is not one activity among many. It's the one task God has given. So what we'll see is that the shepherds of the church must design the ministries of the church for maximum spiritual effectiveness in equipping the saints to accomplish the work that God has given them to do. The shepherds of the church must design the ministries of the church for maximum spiritual effectiveness in equipping the saints to accomplish the work that God has given them to do. Effective shepherds equip the saints for maximum spiritual ministry. So I would like to just step through, right, really the, the, an overview of how the elders are viewing the way ministry goes forward in such a way as we draw that from Scripture and then hand it off to you. Because you're the ones that actually do this. And as I said, if only we're aware of what's going on and why we're doing it, then it doesn't get done effectively. And to begin with, as I alluded to, I want to deal with this issue of the fact that life is a hierarchy. That is, you, you've been taught, it's, you, know, you have God, and then you have family, and you have church, and career, and recreation. So you give some time to God, you give some time to family, you give some time to church, you're already seeing the problem. How do you divvy up your time like that? You don't live in a hierarchical fashion like that. Well, I'll give some time to God, then I'll give some time to my family. No, it's, it's all meshed, isn't it? It all, it all kind of has to fit together, right? Now, we see what happens often is that family comes first there. Maybe your career stands on top of all of that, right? That's the real hierarchy. So how are we going to keep these things in the proper order? Trying to think through it that way doesn't help. Because then you're like, all right, well, this time is for my family. Well, then this time over here, that's the church, now, wait a minute, aren't the things you do in and with your family connected to the church, right? And isn't your career, shouldn't it be connected? And of course, the answer is yes. You're not ever just doing something for your career or just doing something for your family. It's all built into the task that God has given. So I prefer to think of it, I think biblically we think of it like this. The church is the one thing God is doing. Now, remember, that's certainly there is the universal church, which is all believers, when we talk about the church in this sense, we're really talking about the local bodies that represent that universal church. Because the church has to have a local function. It has to be visible. 
That's why we've been talking about elders, gifted men, using their gifts, the people in the church, using their gifts in one specific local body, and then extending that out, of course, to all the various local bodies that exist. So the one local body you are in at this time is the work of the church that God is doing, even as we impact and interact with other local bodies. However, and one of the things that was even missing from that hierarchical presentation is what? Christ. Christ is the center of all of this. Right? He is the one who is to fill all in all. All of the universe is built around him. So, of course, all of our life and the church and everything we do has as its center the person and work of Jesus. Everything is driven and motivated by that. The life of Christ in the believer, that is a true regenerate heart. The word of God being used by the spirit of God to bring the dead heart to life. So Christ dwells there. That drives everything. But it is all then connected to the one thing Christ is doing, which is building his church. So everything else is a spoke in the wheel. Your marriage, your children, your career, your recreation. So you're never viewing those things as somehow opposite to, in antithesis to, the church. Or I'm taking this time to do this, and then I'll give some time for the church. Think about it. If you're recreating, if you have your kids and you know, soccer and other things, that needs to be connected to the church. How? You're thinking through the time you spend, but then you're also t- taking time to share the gospel and draw people towards Christ, even as you reflect and represent the local body that you're part of. And you're trying to draw them back, if they don't know Christ, towards the very church that you're seeking to build. So there's no just recreation and then the church. There's recreation in light of the church. And career, you're making money. What, just to make money? God is not going to ask you when you get to heaven, so how did your career go in that sense? Yeah, sure, did you use it for me, but how did your career connect to my church? That's what I was doing. I wasn't building your career. I was building the church, and your career was supposed to be used to do that. It's the same way with our family. We're not going to come and present our family to God and say, here, I built this. He's going to say, well, I gave you that family, right? and you were to build it, but it was to be built in light of my church. How did it fit? Everything builds into that, but it really helps you. So church activities, as we will see, are not the same as church. So there might be a time in which your family's wrestling and struggling. You've got some discipline things to work on, and the men's conference shows up, and you're like, you know what? I need to stay home this Saturday because I've got about three hours of work I need to do with my son, right? Not work out in the field, but work in him and on him, as it were. We need to talk. And so you don't go to the church activity, but not because you're like, okay, I'm not going to do church time. It is, I'm taking my family seriously so that the church can be healthy and strong. And for me to go do that thing is not the best use of my time for the church. Right? I went to Dollywood last Sunday. I bailed on the new members class. I bailed on my fellowship group. Shh, do not tell anybody this. I went with my family. Why? Because we don't get a lot of time. So Joanna and Marie and Selena, and we got cheap tickets to Dollywood, which doesn't happen very often either. All right? And I spent time with them. It, it, it seemed a better use of my time for the church. I did not do that outside of it. I was like, well, I'm going to steal this time from the church, and then I'll give the church some time. It was in light of the church. Because if I don't have a healthy, whole family, I don't have a church. I don't have a ministry. So that, that's just, that helps a little bit. I want to spend all my time there. But as we talk about ministries, you've got to understand that I'm not saying you have to show up at every ministry that happens. I am saying the church is the thing. And the church, as we will see, is more than the structural ministries. But in case you were wondering, you're like, that's the first time you've seen that illustration. You're like, you're taking a little bit too strong a view on the church. I don't think so. Right? Matthew 16, Jesus said, I say that you are Peter as he represents the apostles and the proclamation of the fact that Jesus is the Messiah. Upon this rock, I will build my church. The gates of Hades will not overpower. I'm doing one thing. I'm building my church. Ephesians 5, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. The family, right? Awesome. But what is the family? Actually, the family is to be a picture. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reverence to Christ and the church. Even that fundamental building block of society, the family is actually carries its primary importance in light of its reflection of the church. Ephesians 1.22, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church. Now, this is mind-blowing. To the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It is the church that is the fullness of him who fills all in all. So that fullness of Christ, to have all things summed up in him, is built into his church. And that's us. And that's what we do. And then Ephesians 3.10, this one is also powerful. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church. To whom? The rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So God says to the evil one and to his minions, you want to see my wisdom? You want to see my glory? 
right? My son is the one that reflects that, but it is reflected through his body, the church. And he points Satan and the demons to us. Again, as we reflect Christ, that's why it's so important what we're actually doing. But he says, that's how he makes known his wisdom is through the church. As they are conformed to the image of Christ, then the worldly forces, the, the, the spiritual forces of this world are torn down. Well, because we want to do those things, right? We want to, I want to just give you an overview here of how ministry works, and then we'll work our way through these, all right? Every part of the ministry of the church is first built on relational ministry, right? That is our interactions with one another, right? And holiness, love, and unity. Then are what I choose to call foundational ministry. That is the ministry that every person can and should be involved in, and that's apart from any structural ministry, that is prayer. You don't need a structural ministry to pray. We have them, but you don't need it. And then hospitality, which is more than just having people in your home. Hospitality is a way to think about others and then a way to interact with others, which makes them feel welcome in your presence. So as you're walking by someone, as you're sitting here this morning, you are hospitable or you are not. You are closed off, interested in only your own thing and what you're going to get, or you are constantly thinking about those around you. Every structural ministry, every Sunday morning ministry is built upon these relational aspects and this foundational ministry you've been praying for and you are accommodating of you long to be with others. That's what Christians love. Didn't we just read that in Acts chapter 2? I don't think the apostles said, hey, now that you've come to Christ, let's all start meeting from house to house. They just started doing that because they loved being together. They wanted to be with one another. Well, too much church and, you know, you don't spend all your time in the church and... I mean, that's what the world says today. That's what worldly church leaders say today. No, we want to be together. It's not all we do, but it is our primary ministry to the world to be together and to love each other. That's what the Bible says. So we have this relational, foundational, then we have, a we have structural ministry, and those things are Sunday morning. I've just broken them down into three things. Sunday morning ministries, discipleship, fellowship, service ministries outside of Sunday morning, and then evangelism and missions, right? Those three areas of structural ministry, and it is those that can change and be different on the basis of the culture, the time, things like that. Those other ones can't. So let's work our way through those, right, in more detail. All right, so as we consider relational ministry, right, this is always the primary ministry of the church. This is the ministry that has never stopped since the church was established 2,000 years ago, right? This looks exactly the same as it has since the time that Peter wrote and Paul wrote and the Bible was written, that we are to be holy. 1 Peter 1.22, we talked about this last week. Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. There's no ministry that isn't based in holiness. You can't come teach the Bible and have it be a ministry unless you're pursuing holiness. You can't do security on Sunday morning or make coffee on Sunday morning unless you are pursuing holiness. You can't call it ministry. You can't do it, but it's not ministry if you aren't pursuing this relational holiness. Notice, holiness, not a list of rules and regulations established by your church. Holiness, the reflection of the purity of the character of God through the principles of Scripture into the lives of other people. It's corporate holiness, not just your personal holiness. I'm holy at home. No, we're holy in corporate relationship. Notice the corporate nature of this. You're purifying your souls, yes, so that you can fervently love one another from the heart. That's really truthing others. We talked about that last week. 1 Peter 1.14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. This is who God is. Well, you can't do the next aspect of relational ministry without the first one, if you aren't pursuing holiness, you cannot love because love flows out of holiness. Love increases and improves our holiness as well. Right, but notice th these verses, Ephesians 4, makes no sense unless there's a corporate setting. Right? None. Th these are corporate. It's not just you by yourself. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, says Paul, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. You don't have humility sitting in your basement, right? You're not patient with you, you're patient with others, right? You, you, you give and care for and give your life for, you show tolerance for other people. This assumes a constant interaction with other people that does not just happen on a Sunday morning. 
This is fundamental to all that we are as a church. You're the connection points. The life flows through holiness, love, and then our third one, unity. That's where life is found, not from the structural ministries of the church. So it comes when we are unified, Ephesians 4, 3. Being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. One. We are doing one thing for one God according to one set of principles with one power. We build that unity, we protect that unity, but we do not create that unity. That is supernatural. You don't create the love, create the holiness, or create the unity. You simply work on those. You build on that foundation. But please hear me, because we're going to spend a lot of time now digging into details of ministry. But if you forget that unless we have these, none of it is actually ministry, then the church will fall. It will be nothing other than a, a latency in church, right? Lukewarm. It will be nothing other than a church with that they said... It looks like you're doing a lot. You have, you have, you have a, a reputation that you are alive, but you're dead because it doesn't have these things underlying it. So please understand that these are, these relational ministries are the groundwork of everything else. It is through these that the life flows. All the structural ministries are just to get you together and then to enable you to use your gifts so that the life flows through you into others. Now, one more set of ministries I mentioned, foundational, built upon those relationships, out of this idea of, you know, they're continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, some of the more structural things, but to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Prayer doesn't need a program, as I said. Prayer doesn't need a place. You are to be praying all the time for one another, and if you are not, then we're failing. We're not doing ministry well. Right? The Bible's clear. We're to pray without ceasing. We pray all the time, and we pray for one another, not just you, and as we do that, we then are able to have power in our ministries. They're not powerful if we're not praying. Because we are dependent upon God. It is God that is powerful, not the prayer, but we don't have power unless we pray. So there's prayer for one another, and then there is hospitality, as I mentioned. First Peter 4, 9, be hospitable to one another without complaint. That is constantly longing to be in each other's presence, creating time to be with one another and not complaining about it. Why do I have to have that guy over? And why is that guy like that? And why did he treat me like that? That's not ministry. You're going to have to bear with, forgive, be humble, be patient. That's why those underlying things are so important. Or you'll never be hospitable without complaint. Okay, but this is a, it's an attitude of the heart expressed in your actions and attitudes towards others. These are foundational. Then we get to our structural ministries. Don't try to build these too quickly, as it were. Right? Now, these, a certain amount of these are commended, things that we have to do, but the exact structure of them will differ from place to place. Now, the first area of ministry that the elders are seeking to, to present as the most important or the first part of our structural ministry is Sunday ministries. Why? Because we are asking you to set aside your Sunday. And why are we doing that? Because of the precedent of Scripture. We don't believe there's a Christian Sabbath. That is, there's a command to do certain things on a Sunday necessarily. But we do believe the precedent of Scripture is to take one day and to set it aside. And that the day that was set aside in Scripture was almost always, as nearly as we can tell, Sunday. That is the first day of the week in which Jesus rose. So we ask you, as elders, to set aside your Sunday. Oh, the world asks you to set aside your Sunday too, right? For sleeping in, for going to, you know, going to your soccer tournaments, you know, all these other things the world asks of you. But we're, on the basis of Scripture, saying we're asking you, as a first line of ministry in this church, to set aside your Sunday, starting with your Sunday morning. We focus... Right, on setting aside this day for worship, teaching, fellowship, and service as patterned in Scripture and healthy for the soul. Do we think it could be done on another day? Yes. There are countries in which the Christians worship on Fridays. Again, I think for us, having the availability to do these things, this is best. But we have to get together. You have to set aside time to worship and to be. So we're just saying Sunday's the time, set it aside. So what do we do on Sunday mornings? Well, we pray. We, have a, we do have a prayer meeting. You might have known that. Right? On Sunday morning, men and women, they pray uh, in separate places, and you could come to that. We've probably 15 to 20 people to come, but you could come, 7.30, it's pretty early. Uh, we could get 100 to 200 people to that. We could, right? probably won't, but you could do that because we think we ought to be praying on Sunday morning, All right, but you don't remember, you could pray without coming to that prayer meeting. Right? You can still pray, but then we, wanna have our, we have to have our Sunday morning worship service. All right? Now, these elements of the service we think are biblically commended. 
exactly how they work themselves out, the type of music, right, the, the way these things are done. Well, I mean, those are left up to culture as far as again, exactly the kind of singing you're going to hear in the Sudan is a little bit different than you're going to hear Sunday morning. The way we sing, that is the philosophy behind it, is still going to be biblical. But anyway, we're going to pray, you, corporate prayer. We're going to read the word together. Right? We're going to, we read Psalm 100. We're going to sing together because we're commanded. Now, I'm not preaching each of these because the scripture's there. We've talked about them. Right? These are commanded. We're going to fellowship together. This is a face-forward fellowship. Where we all come together and we all listen to the same teaching together. We sing the same songs together. We hear the same prayers together because the Bible commands us to fellowship in that way. That kind of fellowship is very important. Right? Additionally, then, we, want to, we have to have the ordinances of baptism and communion. This is part of what the church does at whatever, at whatever amount of time or timing that the elders determine. So we say baptisms happen when people get saved. Right? And then they turn in their testimonies and we wait two weeks. So we've given a prescription for that, generally. Right? Also for communion, we do that once a month and then we take, a, take aside time on Sunday nights four times during the year to take a longer time. That's, that's the elder's discretion there. But we have to do those things and we're calling you to worship on a Sunday morning at these times, but you all need to be aware that this is of primary importance. I think you know that, but nonetheless, there's no accident about that. And we all have to focus on this together because you are doing the work largely on this Sunday morning. Right? You're doing many of the things involved in this. We also have Sunday school because we want to be engaged in the teaching of the word and we want to have age-appropriate teaching. I've said it before, I'll say it again. I'm not preaching for six-year-olds. Again, six-year-olds can hear, they can listen, they can learn. That's fine. And for them to be here is wonderful. But I am not expecting that they would be catching right, a lot of what I say necessarily because I'm teaching to adult minds. I'm teaching to those who are more mature. They're not children anymore, both adult-wise or both physically and spiritually. You're building, you're growing. Right? So we have age-appropriate teaching to our children that they also can participate in as well as coming to the service to learn to worship with you. So we have Sunday school, and we urge on you that time. Set aside your Sunday morning. I mean, maximize it. I mean, why not? You're already here. Why not then go and get some more teaching? Because you will apply that. You can't hear too much about God. You just can't because it impacts you in the moment. You can't remember it all. I get that at any given moment. But why not maximize your time on a Sunday morning and come? Why come and leave? I, can't, I can rarely figure that out. I was like, it's your time. It's your Sunday. I'm not, I mean, I'm not saying you have to come to Sunday school. I'm just saying, why wouldn't you? Because you're already here. So maximize that time. But we have more to do on Sunday because we have Sunday school, right, with Sunday morning support. In order to get these ministries done, in order to have the best possible way to worship and, and to have our Sunday school, these are things we do. Now, do we have to do any of these things? The answer is no. Right? These support ministries we're involved in because we want to help make these ministries, this fundamental ministry of the word and of singing and of prayer, we want to make that more accessible. We want to be well hospitable to those. I don't, we don't have to have a sound uh, team or sound at all, but in the back you're going to be pretty disappointed because I'm not George Whitfield. Right? He, can boom, he can boom that baby out. He didn't need a sound system. I do. My voice is not like that. I'm not even Ron O'Dell who doesn't need a sound system. All right? But I do. You're not going to hear it as well. All right? You don't have to have this PowerPoint, but I think in this case it's pretty helpful for you. You don't have to have a nursery, but I for a fact know that there are probably 14 or 15 screaming, I mean well cared for kids downstairs we could have them here. We could. And some churches do. But I'm asking, is that really beneficial? They're screaming in your ear and you're really getting the full force of the message? No, you're getting the full force of the screaming in your ear. So can we help in this? Sure. Right? Do you have to have coffee? Well, yes, that's easy. Um, <laughs> do you have to be greeted when you come in? Well, no, but I would hope you would be. Someone hands you a bowl and says, we love you. Glad you're here. We don't have to do anything. Say, so come in, sit down in a dark, cold room, and I'm going to teach you the word and you better get it. I, we could do that. I just don't think that would be wise. So to the extent that we can provide a, a, a more hospitable and effective time, we're going to try to do that with your work. But remember, you're not doing this in light of or instead of coming to hear and be part of the worship service. You don't show up to security and then do your security and go home. You don't show up and teach your Sunday school and then boogie out of here. The goal is that we worship together as well. So we have to have a lot of people doing these things so people don't get stuck in never being able to come to the service. You shouldn't be having to do three nursery things in a row. Although sometimes that happens because we don't have enough people. So carefully think through those things, but those are support ministries, but they're supporting the overall structural ministries that are enabling you to deepen and grow through worship. But then we continue on on Sundays. We have fellowship groups. 
right? Now, you, you need to know we purposely, 17 years ago, right? I got here 19 years ago, 17 years ago, we made a purposeful decision. We are not going to have a Sunday evening service. We could. It's traditional, right? But we really don't think that you need another time to come together and have fellowship that's face forward, right? Hey, I would love to teach a whole other session. I love to teach. I mean, you come on back, and I, I've got five or six series that I would love to do, and I think you'd benefit, because it's the Word of God. But I don't think you would benefit as much as if you were sitting face-to-face with one another, discussing the things that you had already learned, sharing with each other what God was teaching you through the week, and praying with each other about the things that are meaningful to you. That's why we have fellowship groups. We don't think it would be the most effective way to shepherd you to have another large group service, even though we could, and actually, it would be a lot easier but no, we have fellowship groups and we ask you to go. So we do. Our, the second most important thing of, of the first most important thing, which is Sunday, that we ask is a fellowship group. We know that everybody can't. Right? There are people who work shifts and other things, but this is what we would ask, that you would set aside the rest of your Sunday as well so that you can be with the rest of the body. Again, one day, we know you got lots of stuff to do during the week. you got busy jobs, busy lives, busy things to do. So cultivate and create and carve out your Sunday so that then you can go and minister to each other. We, we, we wrap a meal around that on purpose. It's a sweet thing to sit down and really you're fellowshipping over the thing that keeps you alive. And, and, and so there's biblical precedent for that where we sit and eat a meal together because it, it fosters fellowship. It's sweet. We could have one big potluck or we could have nine different fellowship groups. We're hoping to expand six more at least or at 15 fellowship groups for next summer or for next fall We could eat one big meal or you could all be eating together, talking with one another in that smaller, more intimate setting, sharing with each other about what the Lord has been doing. I mean, I tell you on Sunday morning what the Lord has been teaching me, right? You on Sunday, I pray during your fellowship groups, tell each other what the Lord has been teaching you. You're not preaching at people, saying the Lord's taught me this. This is why I'm growing. You can't do that on Sunday morning. I don't let you stand up and say, the Lord taught me this. (laughs) Sit down, please, all right? It's, It's not the place, but on Sunday at your fellowship group, you ought to be doing that. Some of you don't, but you should be. That's what you're there for. And then to pray. It is very purposeful that we do not have an additional prayer meeting of this church. Why? Because we are creating nine at this point and hopefully 15 next fall, 15 places to pray where you are actively pursuing the needs of one another. Those are our prayer meetings. And we get a lot more people with nine of them or 15 of them than with one prayer meeting that we would do here. I know that's traditional, but we don't think it's effective to pray in that way. We think you ought to be praying with each other with the requests that you know of from one another, not just physical requests, but spiritual ones. I mean, how many people can I pray for on a Sunday morning? I prayed for one group of people this morning, those who are traveling. And we do those things as, as really we're, we're, we're modeling a pattern of prayer where we intercede for others, we confess our sin, we honor God. So we're modeling prayer. It's real prayer, but we're modeling it. There's only certain things I can say, but in your fellowship groups, you can dig into all those things, and you should be. So, well, should I go to a prayer meeting because what can I get? I go to a fellowship group because I need to pray, and I'm commanded to do that. What can I give? How can I share with other people what I'm learning? Do you think people need to know what you're learning? I mean, I, I think so. God thinks so. So these are the things we're doing in a fellowship group. We're applying the sermon. By the way, applying the sermon, that's generally what the groups do. It's not discussing the sermon as in, well, I like this and I didn't like this. I'm going to be gentle here, but if I taught it from the pulpit and it was God's word, it is to be done. And well, I don't like that. I'm not doing that. He didn't say that just right. I get into that. I sometimes don't. I understand that. We're not bantering around the sermon as to what will we do. It is, this is what we are supposed to do, so are you doing it? And how are you doing it? Here's, how, here's the thing that stood out to me that I think I need to do, and I'm going to try to do this, and we're going to do this. That's what the discussion of the sermon is for, not the picking apart the theology to figure out if it agrees with yours. It's not helpful. It's other places you can think through your own theology and work on that, but not in a fellowship group. That's not why we do that. Are you doing this? Because this, this is the rudder of the church. The things you hear on Sunday morning are the things you're supposed to do. And so they need to be built down deeply into your life. Well, we do more from fellowship groups, all right? There's even more. Wow, how exciting. Uh, You might not have understood this, but our fellowship groups are the place where we want to connect you relationally and spiritually because there's no such thing as real relational connection that isn't spiritual. It's not built around the Vols game, right? It's built around Jesus, even if you're talking about the Vols game, which is fine, right? But it's built around Christ. So when you go to the hospital, that fellowship group is visiting you. 
I'm going to try to be there and pray for you for 15 minutes before you go in, and then I'm gone. And you don't want to sit there for the rest of your time by yourself. You would like someone else to come and visit you and someone that you know, right? And then your fellowship group is going to do that by the Lord's grace. Benevolence help. It's not that the fellowship group necessarily has to take up money. The church has benevolence money. But that's how we become aware of the needs, and you dispense the money. So the church goes, oh, here I have some money. No, those who are in the fellowship group come and say, look, you know, and they hand it out, or maybe there's needs to discuss things, whatever it might be. So benevolence, wedding and funeral organizations. In the past month, we've had the chance to do a wedding and do a funeral, and we do multiple weddings. Not as we do many more weddings and funerals, for which I'm grateful at this time in the life of our church, right? And, and yet, the, the, those were built around fellowship group participation, where the people that you knew set up the stuff for your wedding, right? And, and, they, and they served you the food. Right? Your fellowship group did all of those things. Somebody that you knew. Wedding showers. Right? And, and so baby and wedding showers. Done by somebody you know. Not some you know, church committee that puts together a shower for you and a bunch of people show up that you don't even know. Right? I hope a bunch of people show up that you don't know. But I also hope a bunch of people in your fellowship group who prayed for that baby for nine months, they show up and they say, wow, how exciting that you've had the baby or that you're about to have it. Much more relational and we think much more effective when it comes, and guys, this is your connection point. As I said, if you're not a, in a fellowship group, we'll do these things. We love you. But this is going to be much more effective, and this is why you're doing it. So you go to work. Isn't that sweet? You go to fellowship groups to work. You don't go to just suck in. And I say, you know, I don't think I should go to fellowship groups because I'm not getting anything out of that one. That just says all that it needs to say. What do you, you, you couldn't give anything. You couldn't speak. You couldn't help. You couldn't, of course you could. Right? So it's too big. Guys, you, you, need, you see already that our fellowship groups are a little bit different. They need to be a little bit big. If you've got two people in your fellowship group, nobody shows up when you go in the hospital. All right? So we don't, we don't want them 50. That's why we're, they are some of them 50. I understand that. We would like 20 to 30. All right? But that's what we would like. That's about right, we think, in order to accomplish these things. And so they need to be a little bigger, which means it can be a little difficult with the children and stuff like that. We get that. It's a little uncomfortable at times. But we're trying to expand them as much as we can. Now, up until this last two years, we probably had two-thirds, maybe a little bit more, of our Sunday morning church attendance, two-thirds of that attendance was replicated in fellowship groups. As we have grown, that's dropped significantly, so maybe half, probably not quite as much. And we understand that. It's harder to get into a fellowship group. You, you just showed up. You don't really know. But I think some have not really recognized necessarily why we do these. That's why we're telling you this. Because we're not doing all the work in the fellowship group. You are. We're equipping the saints. We're giving you this fellowship group for you to do all the work. And this is the primary place where you do your work. Sure, I know you're tired on Sunday night or Sunday afternoon. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a stretch to have done all week and then come Sunday morning and then come on this. Sure, but ministry is a stretch, right? And that's part of what we do. Uh, we also want to connect with our missionaries during this time so that when a missionary comes to town or when you're doing something, it's, it's you know, 30 people that have been praying for and giving gifts to that missionary. Right? Part of this, and it's not a point on here, but I've mentioned it already, is that in those fellowship groups, the goal is that you would know if the other people in that group are healthy. That's your group to know. Because you can show up on Sunday morning all day long and never know if the person sitting next to you is a healthy marriage, ever. They were screaming at each other, all right, before they stepped out of their car in the parking lot and boom, the, we had that parking lot transformation. Right? We call it parking lot regeneration where you show up and I was like, eh, everything's cool. And then the regeneration happens on the opposite. You step back out into the car and yell at each other all the way home and the kids. All right, you don't, you don't know if that's going on. You only know what's here. Even in a fellowship group, that, they can fake it. It's a little harder. But you need to be taking people out and sitting down and talking through the issues in their lives. You need to know. And, and not just you're not snooping. Well, I want to know if you're walking with God. How about I would like to share with you some of my own struggles in my walk with God, that we could walk through this together. That does not happen on Sunday morning. Guys, and it doesn't, it's not the three services that's the problem with that. It's not the bigness of the church that's the problem with that. The church of Jerusalem started at 3,000. It then had 2,000 more men, which probably was 4,000 people, and said every day they got more. Don't use the excuse that the church is too big. 10,000 in Jerusalem, probably minimum. You got to get to know each other. You got to do the hard work. And it doesn't happen on Sunday morning. Right? You get to know a couple of people. Even if we had one big service, which I would love, we're working on building stuff, trust me. But you guys, it, that's, it's probably never going to be the case. And if you had one big service of 1,000 people, I was at Grace West, 2,500 people in an auditorium. Do you know how many people I saw on, at Grace West on Sunday morning? About 10, about 15 maybe. 
that I had any significant interaction with out of the 2,500 people that were at one service. Hey, it was sweet to be in one service with them. And that singing, oh, booming. But the interaction, no. You're going to have to find that. You have to create that. Fellowship groups do that. We are praying that we were going to need more host homes. We're going to need more people involved. We're going to need more, you know, everyone giving in this way for fellowship groups. So what's our first primary focus for structural ministry? Sunday. Sunday morning and then fellowship groups. That's first. And you need to know that because you need to encourage people in that. That's your first line. Hey, are you coming Sunday? Are you part of what's going on? Would you join a fellowship group with me? Are you going deep with someone? Do you know if they're walking with God? And then we add on top of that our midweek ministries or just our our ministries happen during the week. So these are our discipleship, fellowship, service ministries. I've combined all of that because most of the ministries have some element of each of those. If you're doing partners, which is a discipleship ministry, you also have a relationship and there's also going to be service. So they're all kind of combined together right, where we are able to minister the word through teaching, discussion, relationship, practical application, and accountability. So there's a bunch of these. I'm just going to blaze through them. Okay, you're aware of most of these, but it's Wednesday night ministries, children, youth, adult Bible study, women's ministries, Friday morning, midweek, hospitality, women's activities. If you want to see how ministry runs well, look at our women's ministries. They're always ahead of the whole church and how well they do things. I just got to say that. They're, they're always super. They have, they have women's conferences. All right, we have men's ministry. All right, man-to-man, where we try to get men to meet up individually, Man Up, which we're going to start in the fall, where out of the fellowship groups, four men get together to build community with men, men's conferences, men's activities. Remember, all this is built around the life of Christ, not just men hanging out to talk about whatever. Right? As they talk about whatever, they're talking about Christ, women as well. Partners ministry, guys, that's a one-on-one discipleship ministry that's built around theology. We want to know that you know the right theology, and there is a right theology. Right? So Partners does that. Also, there's accountability. Also, there's relationship, Right? And prayer. So we, we would want everyone to try to do that ministry if possible. Counseling ministry where we're developing certified counselors to help you walk through difficult things. We're teaching every one of you how to use God's word to counsel each other because you're doing that all the time. Right? Ongoing counseling services and necessary counseling to church members. Practical ministry. Moving help. People are moving all the time so we want to help them move in. People's houses are breaking down all the time. We want to help them. People's cars are constantly blowing up. Right? There's people in the church that will help you you can set up an appointment with them. Right? They'll, you'll go over to their... You don't drop their car, your car off at their house. That's not it. Right? You go and you work with them. And they say, here's how to do this, and here's what you do. Right? Not, it's not garage mechanics. It is ministry. Right? They minister to you. They help you. They encourage you. Right? So these things are all going on. Community ministries, Pregnancy Resource Center, Joe Howie Baptist. That's how we minister to the poor functionally. Uh, if anyone, any poor, anyone from the homeless or poor community calls us, we say, talk to the Chilhowee Baptist Association. We, we give, we support, we go, because we don't have the resources to filter through those requests in ways that make sense. We just get used to, to, to fund people's drug habits, to move them on to the next place where they're scamming people and manipulating them. The Chilhowee Baptist Center is a careful means by which they winnow out real needs from fake ones, and there's lots of fake needs out there, as you might imagine. All right, we have uh, our advanced Bible study, theology and teaching, retreats and conferences, right, our essentials and soon to become just the GCC Bible conference. Then we have our, you know, like our military uh, acronyms, SI, LBI, right, Shepherds Institute, that's for men, two-year program, really teaching how to be an elder in a church if the Lord would ever have that, but being elder qualified if, if the Lord would have, right, how to teach the word, the, we have Old Testament, New Testament survey, then we have LBI, which does essentially the same thing for ladies, Ladies Bible Institute, now, we have, we have exploratory dinners for both of those coming up. I think the ladies' is May 31st. The men's is June sometime. Again, the ladies are ahead of us on the dinner. Uh, where you just come and sit and say, would I like to do that? Right? Two years of my life. Well, it's a sweet two years. Right? So I'd love to see you do those things. So go to the dinners and find out if that's for you. All right. Whew, you tired yet? All right. Next, we add on top of that a third level. So we have Sunday ministries. Then we have discipleship, fellowship, service ministries. Then we have evangelism, mission, and missions ministry. Right? We have to be extending out into the community. We have to be evangelizing both within our own community in this church as well as outside of it. So we do evangelism at the UT campus. We had a group up in Gatlinburg all day yesterday right, who were, who were sharing the gospel. So we have local evangelism. We, we minister in the jails, Morgan County, which is about an hour from here, Blount County, which is about a minute and a half from here. So we want to minister in those places. Counseling ministry, which is our first line of evangelism. People come from even the church, but also from the community, 
They say, I've got a, a spiritual problem. We say, well, do you know Jesus? Well, sure, I know Jesus. Well, then we counsel them in the gospel because so often they don't. The first area of counseling is always, do you actually know Christ? Sometimes that's over and over. Right? So counseling ministry, ministry, training, and support. Guys, we're going to send out Eva Huff prayerfully at the end of this year. She came up through our, college, our high school ministry, college ministry. We put her through our two-year uh, missionary training ministry, and then we're going to support her as a church and send her out. You're gonna, we're going to pay for her to go out because she came through here. And then we also have a series of, minis- of missionaries that we support. Because that's, that's a lot of structural work, isn't it? All of that equipping the saints. We're stretching out around the world. You, from this room, as you hear these things and get excited about doing these things, as you pour out into each other relationally, are then impacting the entire world. That's why we can say church, big C, universal church, church, little C, if you want to put it that way, local church, one is impacting the other. But that's not all, right? We're not done. Why? Because you can't just put these ministries into place and go, hope it's working. Hope somebody shows up to that. Hope somebody leads that well, right? You're going to, the elders, and then you, as part of this, have to be overseeing and asking questions. Are we communicating well to and about each ministry? Does each ministry meet a fundamental need of the church? Should we even be doing this? Are ministries well-led? Guys, bad-led ministries lead to church splits, and they lead to people leaving the church, they enter a ministry, and the, and the leader was bad, and the, and the theology somehow got bad, and if we don't know that, we are destroying the church. So ministries are really important, and we have to watch them. Is anyone participating in the thing? You know that. There's ministry got established five years ago. Somebody's just kind of holding it together. Nobody's coming. It's time to put a fork in that thing. Right? The structural ministries are not commanded in this sense, so we can do something else. All right, so we, got, but we have to know that. Are those accomplishing the ministry being encouraged and evaluated? We know that happens, right? You get stuck in a church where you were doing children's ministry for 15 years and nobody ever even asked you if it was going well. And it wasn't. You're about ready to kick those kids out the door. So you're bitter and angry at the kids and your kingdom isn't being... You see what I mean? We're trying to not do that, but everyone has to participate in helping evaluate and encourage and even say, this is not your ministry. Are those participating in the ministry actually benefiting spiritually? That's the glitmus test. Is there life flowing through the ministry? Not just are we doing something. Is there life do we need to make changes? Do other ministries need to be started? Are there relational issues that need to be solved? Yeah, you're on the sound team and you walk past each other and something happened, well, not on from the sound, and uh, you, can't, you don't like the guy, so you don't even talk to him. You're on the music team, you're trying to sing together, and, and something happened in your families that your kids didn't get along with each other, and so you're bitter. <laughs> it's not an effective ministry. doesn't matter how pretty you sound when you're singing. Right? You're trying to teach the word, as I said, and your family's a mess. Now, there's relational issues sometimes that need to be dealt with, and there are doctrinal issues that oftentimes need to be addressed in any particular ministry. You see the ongoing maintenance, but you see that that's not just the elders' work. We're overseeing that getting done, but you're supposed to be doing it. Ministry heads, leaders, participators in the ministry. If you are in a ministry, a structural ministry, are you aware of whether or not the other people in that ministry are healthy and whole in Christ? Do you even know if that's the case? Every place is a relational point of interaction, even as you do the work of the ministry together. But we're still not done. All right, we got one more thing. All right, we'll call this levels of integration. Now we're back to people. So we went from people to structured ministries, back to people. We're going to group them a little differently in this idea, which is how do, we, how do we know if people in the church are progressing forward in healthy ways in and through those ministries? All right, so I'm going to give the overview here and we'll finish out. And one of, the, one of the ways that we do this is through a, a tool that we have chosen to use. It's called Church Center. Yes, it's a little app, and some of you are like, oh, I hate Church Center. Some of you will love it. It's the greatest thing ever. If you don't know what it is, you can ask at the Welcome Center. But what we do, what we've done with this thing called Church Center is in helping us, well, I'm going to tell you the levels here. Right? If people visit, we want them to come back, right? We don't want them to just visit one time, and nobody cared for them, and they're like, oh, that was a pretty selfish, self-focused church. Nobody even called me or talked to me. We want them to become regular attenders, but regular attenders means connecting, not just showing up. We want them to become members then because that's the only way you can actually participate in the lifeblood of the church fully by ministering outwards is if you become a member. We then want to know if as they are members, are they spiritually healthy? Are they engaged in ministries to help others grow or help them grow? Are they engaged in ministries to help others grow? And are they moving towards leadership? All of these things we need to know. One of the ways we do that is by having an app which helps you become part of the whole administrative process and the discipleship process of the church. You might say, well, yeah, why do I have to sign up for these things? Why can't I just sign a list and the secretary signs me up? Because if there's 500 of you signing up, 
right? And there's 150 signing up for summer camp. Then one of our staff members, Rob, spends six hours of his time entering in your names, trying to figure out if you paid, and then trying to track you down if you didn't. We don't want him using his time for that, and I don't think you do either, right? We got one secretary for this church, right? We don't want her trying to find all the lists and all the stuff all around the church, get that entered in, and try to figure out if you paid your money. So what have we done? We've given that responsibility to you. That's what Church Center does. You are now the secretaries. You are now the ones who pay the money and, and, and record it. You do all those things, and that's all purposeful. We have purposely handed that off to you so we don't have to hire more secretaries, and we more faithfully utilize the work of those that we are paying by having you do the work. So I know it's a little frustrating. I know you open up the app, and it's like, i got to sign in again. Well, yeah, that's true, but there's work involved that you can do that then takes burden off everyone else. And it is just a tool, but it also helps us know who's coming to things, right? And if they're participating, and if they're not, we want to reach out. It's all relational. We're like, well, you're not coming, so you showed up on my list. What then? Hey, we prayed for you. As elders, we looked at the list of regular attenders who haven't been active in three months, and we prayed for those that weren't. And then we reached out to them, so we, we assigned someone to say, would you talk to that person? We didn't fire them an email. You haven't shown up. Get in here. Would you talk to them, see what's going on? Maybe it's a relational problem, a situational problem, something that is happening. Because all of this information is for the purpose of interacting with people. We want to move people from visitors to regular attenders. That takes relationship. We have a whole, a whole portion, a group on our church center app where people are interacting. Who did you take out for dinner? How did it go? Who needs to be reached to next? Is that person in need of another contact? Not sharing personal information about you, just simply how do we work our way through these things? And your help in participating in this is incredibly beneficial. We want to move regular attenders to members. Are they engaging? Are they building relationships? Have they run into difficulties? Guys, people move from visitor to regular attender and then they leave the church and we're like, what happened? We would like to know if it was a relational thing, maybe we could solve it. If it was a doctrinal thing, maybe we could sit down and work it through. Maybe not, but maybe. So having and knowing where people are, what they're doing, and then having others go to them, which is you, to reach out to them is huge. We want members to come to full maturity. Those are the questions we're asking. Are they growing? Have they begun to fade away from the church? How would we even know if we're not keeping track of where people are? If somebody doesn't know where you are, it is all relational so that you will reach the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, a final thing that I want to introduce uh, along the lines of this structural thought of how we move people into these, into these ways. There's one place uh, where we don't keep track of whether people are coming or not. And, and there's one place we mentioned to you that's the most important area of our ministry. And what was it? Sunday morning, right? Well, there's one place we don't keep track of anybody coming. And that's Sunday morning. Now, some of you are like, hey, we're happy with that. That's great. All right? However, it just seems to us, it has seemed to us good to put into place a final aspect of, all right, if you don't come on Sunday morning, do we know? And why would we want to know? Because we want to reach out and care for you. There are times when I walk, and, and every Sunday morning, I try to walk around and shake hands and say hi to people, and I know for a fact that I shake somebody's hand, they haven't been here for six weeks. Now, I don't know that, because I'm, I'm sorry, I, can't, I don't remember whether I met you past when I walk out of here. Now, again, I might remember your face and sometimes your name, but I can't go to the elders meeting on Monday night and say, okay, these are the 50 people that I shook hands with. There's no way. Right? And no other elder in this church can do that, and no other leader in this church can do that. And as I said, someone goes, well, we've got three services. We need one. We're too big. No. Could they do that in Jerusalem? No. They had to break it down to know who was coming. And so one of the ways we do that is we, is, is we take attendance. Now, we could do this, like my friend Tom Pennington's church, kind of our big sister church. We like to do what they do. Uh, 1,700 people go to that church, probably more. Every Sunday, every single Sunday for 20 years, and every time I visited, in the middle of the service, during the announcements, he says, all right, I want you to look to the right. If you're on the edge of the row, I want you to pick up a book. You can look to your right. It's not there. And I want you to pass that book by hand down the row, and I want everybody to sign it. Ooh, talk about what? And then somebody picks up that book and enters all of that information as to the names and it was there into a computer. It's about five somebodies for 1,700 people. And then if somebody doesn't come for two weeks, what happens? Somebody calls them. And they'll say, where were you? You're not spiritual. No, they say, what's up? We, have, we noticed you were gone. Were you on vacation? And they say, oh, I was on vacation. Man, how'd it go? You immediately have time. Not a, well, you should show up next time. Don't go on vacation. 
I mean, why would we call? Right? I, I've been sick. Back to where I made that segue. I'm shaking your hand, and you haven't been here for six weeks, and I don't know. And I don't say anything. And like, why didn't this guy even recognize that I've not been sitting in this auditorium for six weeks? Because I'm sorry, I'm not going to know. Maybe with this, someone will know. Right? And I might probably know because I'll probably have looked through the list and, and have prayed for you. The elders would have prayed for you. So we are implementing Sunday morning check-in. Like, oh, but I'm not going to make you do a book, right? I'm going to make you use your phone. You can pull it out if you want. Again, if there might, there, some people just, they, they do not want to do this on a Sunday morning, and I get it as far as pull out your phone in the middle of the service. Others of you love to do it. It's like, all over the place. Now go ahead and pull it out if this is a thing that you do, all right? If it is not, then that's okay. All right, but it's going to open up. When you open it up, it's going to show up. You're going to be on me, or you're going to be on home, or you're going to be on directory, all right? And we're going to show you a video in just a second that will show you how to check in. It's very easy, and it's a lot better, we think, than passing a notebook down the row, all right? This will be easier on you and easier on us. All right, so what you're going to do, in just a second, you'll see the video. You're going to, there's a little thing that says check-in. Don't hit it yet, all right? But once the video goes, you can hit the check-in, all right? And then it opens up a whole series of options for your family. Don't you just kind of watch the video and kind of see where it is because there's all these options as to what you can do once you open that up, right? But watch the video and then I'll have a final thought when we're done. So go ahead and hit, we can start the video now. Go ahead and hit the little check-in thing. If, again, if this is what, this is a thing that you do, go ahead and hit check-in and watch. Now we're at the point that I just told you to be. Check in. Now it gets complex, and you're not the creases, so it's you. You pick one person, and then you work through all the options. Different things will show up every time you click a level. So just, yeah, just experiment a little bit with it if that's what you do. If not, just watch and be amazed. I was in the wrong place. I wasn't in a Sunday school class. I didn't go to judges. I went to a different class. And that's it. Okay, a couple of thoughts on this to finish out. One, you'll 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 as you start experimenting with it, you'll find, again, you press one thing that opens up a series of options, places you could go. Can, you know, you'll work your way through that. You can check other people in in your family. All right? it's doesn't, it doesn't show anybody else's family but yours. And don't worry. If mom checks you in and dad checks you in and then you know, your millennial child checks everybody in, uh, it's fine. It's going to do one check-in. You're okay. It's not going to cross-check anything. You're not going to get multiple check-ins. Additionally, you can do this at 7 in the morning. You're waking up. You're drinking your coffee. You're thinking, I need to check in. You know where you're going to be. So at 7 in the morning, sitting at home, you can check yourself in, right? But most of you, you're going to be leaving at, you know, 12.15 or closer to 12.30, and you're going to, oh, we didn't check in. So on the way home, you have your millennial child, grab the phone, and if you allow them to do such things, and they check everybody in. So you, can, you have till 1 o'clock to do that. Again, why would we do this? So that we hopefully can kind of in this last piece know if people are coming on Sunday morning or not. And if you guys, if you don't want to check in, that's fine. It is pro you probably, you hopefully will get a call that says, we don't know if you're coming on Sunday morning, just wanted to check and make sure everything's okay. If that time you want to say, look, I'm not planning to use check-ins, we're not going to mark you down on the big bad list. We're just going to, what we are going to mark down is say, don't keep calling them. But please understand that if you're gone for six weeks and nobody calls you, that will be why, all right? Because we are respecting that that's the way you want it, which is, again, that's fine, but we would love to be able to contact you if something's up. So you can work that however you want, right? But we, we, we pray that this will be a, a helpful way for us to be moving people from visitor to regular attender to member. All of that, you guys, backing up again, is so that in the midst of all of that, as we're interacting and relating to one another, that our church becomes strong and healthy. These practical things, even something like church center, is a means to an end that is to use to see the life of the church of Christ flowing out through us in ways that transform us and the world. That's the goal. Planning Center transforms no one, right? But 
the life of Christ as we meet with each other and talk with each other and care for each other. You weren't here, can we come talk to you? You weren't here, can we help you? You have been here, we'd like you to do, be involved in leadership because we know you've been here. Those sorts of things, that is what enables the life of the church to be well expressed, not only here, but then spreading out literally throughout the world the very life of what we're doing, built around practical ministry that the elders are, are handing off to you so that you might do the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for our time together. Thank you for the privilege of being together. Lord, I pray that you would just strengthen and encourage us as a church, that in these things you would be honored, even in our, our structural and practical ministries, that your name would be lifted up. Father, I pray for each one or that you would give them strength and energy and wisdom to be, to be plugged in at, at all levels of ministry, or that they would be in holiness and in love and unity relating to each other, that they would pray and be hospitable, that they, they would be able to come on Sunday morning and, and fellowship face forward to, to hear your word and to sing and to encourage each other, and that then they would break out throughout Sunday and throughout the week to minister well to one another face to face. Lord, we long to be a church that, that reflects the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Jesus. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, amen.